Welcome back to Love Letters Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. After listening to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. You can rate and review this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a one-time donation or a monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode. You are listening to a Sunday morning sobriety episode where we explore all aspects of physical and emotional sobriety. And it's important to note that I am not an expert or the final word on this topic. I created this series to share my experience, strength, and hope with anyone on the journey of physical or emotional sobriety. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So lately, I have been giving a lot of thought to the gifts of sobriety and recovery. And whether those are the promises that are laid out in the AA Big Book or the adult child of alcoholic promises, or the Al-Anon promises, the ones that we find in the book, from survival to recovery, or whether they are the gifts that we see in our everyday sober curious lives, when we stop engaging in harmful and self-defeating behaviors, and instead begin to invest in our growth, serenity, and sobriety. And you know, it's not as if I've been sitting around daydreaming about this, because Life has just been so phenomenal for me lately because it actually hasn't. (laughs) I, much like many of you, am currently having a very humble and human experience. And there are moments when it feels as if I am being forced to look at these things by observing interactions in the world around me. And while the messages that come to us through imperfect people and imperfect situations can really feel frustrating at first, They can also be really helpful and incredibly revealing about ourselves and about others. And I know that we want to believe that we all have the ability to learn all of our lessons through softness and convenience and gentleness, but every now and then, discomfort is an incredible and memorable teacher as well. And that brings me to our topic for this episode, which is, what is the most important saying in sobriety and recovery. And I thought it would be a really interesting topic because one of the things that people make fun of most often when talking about 12-step groups or even sobriety in general are the phrases that people use like 
keep coming back or take it one day at a time or first things first or it works if you work it. Now, I'm not a big fan on taking cheap shots at anything or anyone. I generally tend to pause and just look a little bit deeper to see maybe the intention and purpose behind anything that makes me raise an eyebrow because the fact is maybe I have some bias or I'm misunderstanding something. And one of the most important reasons that very, very simple phrases are so important, so powerful and useful in sobriety and recovery, especially in early sobriety and recovery, is that they are inclusive, they are repetitive, and they are clear calls to action with very little room for misinterpretation, which is probably really helpful for people navigating some kind of substance use disorder or some type of emotional dysregulation. And yet, it's probably also really challenging for someone who doesn't have much experience with the healing process of sobriety. So for me, the single most important saying in sobriety and recovery is, how about right now? That's it. How about right now? And I know that phrase sounds almost too simple to be believed, right? Like, how is that so important? And how am I building a whole episode around it? And why am I talking about it? It's a pretty humble sentence. And it really lacks pizzazz or sparkle or some kind of wow factor. And yet it gets straight to the point. How about right now? And I really wanted to explore that phrase in this episode because I know the powerful impact that it's had in my own life and in the lives of the people I know who are also doing this physical and emotional work. So let's walk through that for a second. How about right now? Why is that so powerful for people who are at a crossroads and trying to change their, their physical space, their energetic space, their emotional space? trying to address their maybe distorted perception or some character defects. How does this come into play? Well, probably because one of the first things that gets overlooked as we're talking about physical and emotional sobriety is that many people who are navigating this journey are struggling with issues related to control. And I know that there are very different camps. So if you are of the camp that believes it is literally liquid in a bottle and there is no emotional, physical, spiritual, mental aspect tied into it, I honor your experience and your perspective, but maybe this isn't the conversation for you. Or maybe you just want to sit in and listen to what someone else thinks. But I know from my own experience and my own journey and the people I work with is that very often there are other things coming into play. And so control is something that we actually talk about a lot. And it's also why we talk about surrender so much. And surrender, as we're talking about it in this episode, is really about just turning your energy over to the winning side. And for so many people who are actually struggling with substance use disorder or some type of emotional issue related to this, they're not always conscious of the fact that they're not on the winning side. They think, let me just do it one more time. Let me just do this thing more, or I'll put more pressure or more energy or more emotion, or I'll do the same exact thing that I've been doing 900 times before, but this time it'll be different. 
So that element of control comes into play when we're having this discussion. But where else does control come into play? Think about your relationships. Control comes up when we are in resistance. So what does resistance look like? That can look like maybe being a little belligerent in conversations, not being able to hear the other person who's speaking. Maybe it means going out of your way to not allow something to happen along its natural course. Maybe it means weaponized incompetence, constantly showing up late, constantly self-sabotaging, constantly failing, despite having all the tools you need in front of you. So resistance comes up a lot, especially in sobriety and recovery, because what's happening? To some degree, we're looking at the way we've been living our lives and are having to admit, mm, this isn't really working for me. <laughs> you know, something's got to change. And, you know, before we're willing to look at ourselves and say, well, maybe I have to change, we're looking around the room and scanning for anyone or anything else that can change first. So resistance, while it can be really challenging, is a really common experience. How does that show up in sobriety and recovery? When we're talking about even you know the 12-step model, uh, I know a lot of people forget this, but there are actually steps <laughs> that you're working in the 12-step model. It's not just showing up to meetings and hanging out or talking to a sponsor. There are steps that you're working through. And so resistance can look like uh, not wanting to start the steps, not wanting to read the book. And what does that look like? And instead of saying, oh, I'll do it when I'm ready, or I'll do it when I have more time, or I'll do it when I'm not so busy, or I'll do it when my girlfriend isn't mad at me, how about right now? And so this phrase also comes into play when we're looking at our own maybe reactivity or passive aggressive behavior. And that's so hard to look at. So if you're in that space or you've been accused of being in that space, <laughs> I invite you to be pretty gentle with yourself as you look in the mirror. I think it's pretty common and pretty human to be able to scan the room and take everyone else's inventory and say, oh, I know what's wrong with that person. And I know what they're doing and I know what their biggest problem is. But what about when we sit and we look at ourselves and say, what is my passive aggressive behavior? When have I been in reactivity and then sabotaged something or been a martyr or been disingenuous or lied by omission? When have those things come up? And we don't have to admit it to anyone else. This is internal work. So you're thinking, when have I done that? And what would it be like if I had to set that aside and show up in the truth and show up in honesty, show up in presence right now. I also think about our negativity bias. And, you know, that could either be rooted in fear or shame or past experiences. And I totally get that. You know, we have negativity bias. It's what keeps us alive. So it's not exactly the enemy. But sometimes it is a little distorted for some of us. And that negativity bias can really prevent us from being in the present moment and showing up and doing what we can do with what we have. So maybe also taking a moment to think, all right, when do I do that? When is my negativity bias, that loud no voice that's booming in my head at all times, the one that says, you're the only one who sees what's going on. You have to be the voice of negativity. You have to be the one who shines a light on everything for everyone. When does that happen? And how often does it prevent me from being present and doing what needs to be done 
in the moment. And again, these things are not easy questions to dive deep on, even if we're doing this privately and we're not sharing this with anyone else. It's really interesting to take our time and do this work. Like just listening to this episode is not going to bring you to a space where you have an epiphany about it. You know, this is very similar to almost peeling back the layers of an onion. Um, You get to one level of realization and then you drop in a little deeper next time and a little deeper and you realize more and more things about yourself. The next thing I want to talk about is our excuses. You know, our excuses are so loud and they can really prevent us from showing up because they talk to us in our own voice, right? I mean, our excuses are reliable. They're telling us that you have a rational reason for not doing this right now and you have to tell everyone about it, (laughs) you know? And that's so important because how often have our excuses prevented us from being in the moment, being present with others, from doing what we said we would do, or from showing others that we're capable, from showing others that we're honest, from showing others that we can show up for them and ourselves. You know, one of my favorite people on earth shared a great quote with me many years ago, and it stuck with me ever since, and it really touches on this topic. And they said, I want you to know that if you're explaining something, if you're defending something, if you're justifying something, or if you're rationalizing something, then I want you to know that you're wrong because you never have to explain, defend, justify, or rationalize what's right. And so as we're having this conversation about how about right now, just think about how many excuses you make for yourself in those moments and what they sound like and how convincing they are and how much energy goes into them. And what would happen if you surrendered a little bit and shifted that energy into presence, into action, instead of into resistance? And finally, I just want to touch on the topic of distorted perception and how that comes into play when we're talking about control and presence. And distorted perception looks like measuring your insides by everyone else's outsides, right? That's a really simple way to say it, but it's also not really sitting in the reality of experiences and sitting in your story instead of approaching things from a position of neutrality. Now, it doesn't make you good or bad if you do either, But it is really challenging to show up and take accountability for yourself if you're focused on everything else around you and everyone else around you, because then you're also putting up a wall against whatever invitations, whatever prompts are coming at you from the world around you. You know, maybe you're seeing yourself always as a victim or always as a martyr or you're seeing yourself as the savior and it's very grandiose. How does that take you out of the moment? And what excuses does it make for you to take you out of the present and say, oh, I don't need to work on this now. I'll work on it some other time. I'll work on it when it's more convenient. I'll do this when all of my life falls into shape. I'll do this when my wife acts right, when my kids behave better. I'll do it when I have more money. I'll do it when I take care of these 17 other things instead of right now. And I think sometimes as I'm inviting us to look at ourselves, that can be really challenging, right? I mean, that's not easy work. So pause for a moment and think about the person you trust most in the world. 
And that trust doesn't have to be related to romantic feelings or even long-term friendship, but the person whose word and action you know you can trust, are they sitting there delaying things? Are they putting things off for when they feel like it? Or are they doing things when they're presented with the opportunity? Are they showing up in service? Are they showing up in action? Or are they withholding things and waiting until they feel like everything's perfectly aligned in order to maybe show up? Probably not, right? Um, We think about the things that we find appealing and trustworthy in others. And we also are invited at this stage, if we're working on sobriety and recovery, to begin introducing those things into our lives. And it doesn't have to happen all at once. We can take baby steps every step of the way. So let's explore what some of those baby steps look like. I think my favorite one is probably the simplest. And to begin doing this practice on a daily basis will actually really change your life in a lot of ways. And it's going to be pretty surprising. And that is to be where your feet are. And I know that can sound a little simplistic, like obviously, Casey, I am where my feet are. (laughs) But if you think about it, how often are you focused on the past? How often are you perseverating on little hurts and little failures or big wounds, things that have happened, losses you've had? How often are we projecting ourselves into the future and thinking about the worst case scenarios and everything that could happen or wanting to be somewhere else and envisioning the grass very much being greener somewhere else with someone else. But how often is that indicative of giving our power away a little bit? And so by being where our feet are, we're almost calling that power back and grounding into who and where we are. And when we do that, it's not saying I love where I am because I have definitely been in positions in my life where I didn't love where I was, but the power of this practice is that it does call all that power back and it helps you to make better decisions, to see what your resources are, to acknowledge your options and your support that surrounds you. And it's really helpful. I think another thing to do is do a mini inventory every day and say, how often was I doing what I could do where I was with what I had in the very moment? And again, that can sound really simple, but once you start doing that inventory, you realize how often you almost disappeared into escapism or you disappeared into victimhood or you really weren't being present and aware in the moment where you were thinking about some future date or what someone else was doing. But doing that inventory, almost a spot inventory of saying, am I doing what I can, where I am with what I have in this moment, brings you back to yourself. It's really life-changing. It really shifts your perspective. And again, it's a very gentle practice. We're not berating ourselves with these practices. We're actually supporting ourselves. Another thing to do is something I mentioned earlier, and that is not judging our insides by looking at someone's outsides. And this is very challenging to do because I think that we're almost bombarded in media, in social media, in social settings to automatically do this. And I think that previous step of doing that inventory is something that can really help. 
And when we find ourselves doing this, which inevitably we'll do, I do this all the time, that's when we call ourselves back home, back home to ourselves. Maybe we take a gentle pause in those moments and say, wow, I really am just beating myself up or I'm stepping into grandiosity when what I really need is presence. Something I mentioned earlier is not waiting for perfect conditions, not waiting for someday, not waiting to be some other version of ourselves, because that's almost stepping into fantasy, right? And it absolves us of responsibility. It absolves us of our agency. So if we actually always had to call ourselves back home and say, who am I in this moment? What is being asked of me? And can I show up? That's a much different conversation. And I think the more you redirect yourself gently, of course, you know, not abusing ourselves, but gently redirecting ourselves, when we find ourselves thinking about that, imagining this perfect version of ourselves who will one day say the right thing and get everything done, we can really step into the reality of the moment and probably make some very powerful life changes. And it doesn't have to be magical thinking. It can be really humble. I think one of my favorite quotes, and I've shared it on this podcast before, is something by Paolo Coelho. And he said, the word feel is full of traps. And I always love that because, you know, you hear that a lot and we're so encouraged to tap into our feelings. And I think that's beautiful. But how often are we putting almost too much weight into our feelings without recognizing all the things that we've done to allow our feelings to sort of get out of control? That's a hard one to work through sometimes. And I know that that can almost be a little triggering for people who maybe have felt previously very disconnected from themselves. So to clarify, I'm not saying don't honor your feelings or don't honor your intuition. I am saying in early sobriety and recovery, your feelings are going to tell you, I don't want to be sober today. I don't need to do this. What I did yesterday wasn't so bad. Setting the house on fire, everyone got over it. Getting fired from my job, oh, I'll get another one. Your feelings may not be walking a path of integrity with you. So until you do feel that alignment, I think that this is a really important thing to keep in mind, that sometimes our feelings don't always have the best intentions. And that's why discernment is so important. And I know that we all like to think we have impeccable discernment, we have impeccable intuition. But the fact is, if we have been living in a way where we have not relied on discernment or we have put our intuition to bed and we have been living in the extremes, it is really important to do the slow work of bringing ourselves back into equilibrium. And that looks like living in calm and consistency instead of chaos. And the issue here is in early sobriety and recovery, that calm and consistency will feel terrifying. And I use that word feel because it will feel like something is wrong. It will feel like something's about to jump out of the corner and scare you. And that chaos that you've been living in will feel healthy and it will feel familiar and it will feel safe because you know what's always going to happen to you. 
And we don't know what's going to happen when we're on this journey of sobriety and recovery. We don't know where consistency will take us in our jobs, in our relationships, in our lives. And that's the journey. That's where we are. And it can be really scary. Another feeling. (laughs) So I think that it's really important to do that work, not beat yourself up. And again, not live in the extremes, not say, I'm never going to listen to my intuition. I'm never going to listen to my feelings, but instead allow them to have a place along with other things in your life, but not to take over your life. And what does that look like? That brings us to our final thing, because that looks like living in action and in accordance with our principles instead of living in the myth of our best intentions. And I know I'm going to hurt some feelings with that one because that is really hard to look at in our own lives, especially in a culture that tells us that our intentions have all the weight. And instead, here I'm reminding you that I think it's more about our impact. It's not always our intentions. Again, our intentions can be completely out of alignment. But what happens when we live in action in accordance with our principles, our core principles, those things that we never want to shake? Life will look different. And that's why we're talking about this in this episode today. You know, how about right now? Because that's a call to presence and action. And that's saying, I'm going to step away from the myth of who I would be on my best day in alignment with my best intentions. And those things only need to be dealt with when I'm the person who doesn't lie, who doesn't use drugs, who doesn't drink, who doesn't manipulate people, who doesn't lie to other people. Again, it absolves us from being in the moment. And we are human beings doing this human work here and now. And that's what this is all about. So that's what I'd like to leave you with this week. And I know that it's a pretty humble and maybe a little bit of a surprising message, but how about right now? That's what I want you to begin introducing into your life and seeing what that does. Even if you only do it for a month, think about that. If every day that phrase was directing your thinking and action, what would shift? I think the shifts would absolutely shock you. So until next week, Make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Before you close out of this episode, take a moment to rate or review this podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider making a one-time or monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode.